Neutral, a member of the Hooniverse Podcast Network. This is episode two, recorded Wednesday, March 2nd, 2016. Your hosts are Pete Tonchinomi Ziliox, that's me, and Eric Tritko of RumbleStrip.net and RumbleStrip Radio. How you doing, Pete? I'm good. I'm good. I, I want to establish something. I had gone back and listened to the podcast from last week that just went live yesterday as we're recording this, and... I want to establish that your first motorcycle was really kind of maniacal at the time. It was about the most radical thing you could get. The gray market, four-cylinder, two-stroke, Grand Prix replica sport bike, which was never sold in the United States. And that was your first bike? Yeah, the RZ500, yeah, that was uh, essentially the first bike that I owned. Owned. I had ridden other bikes over the years, uh, you know, kind of at the end of high school, rode some dirt bikes and, uh, you know, borrowed a person, a few people's street bikes here and there. But that was really the first bike that I ever spent my own money and, and kept and rode and put miles on. Yeah. That makes you very special. That's, that is impressive. <laughs> that, that makes you a very unique type of rider. But you, you said you had, you had some riding experience. So you, it wasn't like you were figuring out where the clutch and the shifter were when you were getting on this thing. No, 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 no. I knew I knew what I was doing. I, I had put I had ridden off and on for uh, I got the bike in 96, I think it was 96 or 97. 97. What, what year was it? It was in 85. Year? OK, um, living in Detroit, you got Canada right across the river. And, and the RZ five hundred was in, they were sold in Canada, and I happened to find one. I don't even remember how I found it, but online, honestly, I think in some internet forum way back in the day. And uh, and yeah, I went to go go look at it, and I think I paid twenty five hundred dollars for it. Oh, <laughs> and now that bike's I know now that bike's worth well over ten thousand oh, dollars, which kills me. Oh my! <laughs> yeah. And you also said you had a TZR two fifty. TZR two fifty. Yep. Now, were those uh, sold in in Canada? Uh, no, this one was a uh, was a Japanese bike. I was going to say uh, I thought they were they were pretty much like Australia yep. and Japan only. Yeah. So someone I I knew from Chicago because uh, there's a whole group of us who when we race there's some here from Detroit and some in in Chicago and there's a whole group of us and. Um, one of the people I knew, he was, uh, you know, an, an ex-Marine or a former Marine, and he had been stationed in Okinawa for four or five years. And while he was there, he had bought it. And then when he was transferred back to the U.S., he brought it with him and was able to import it. And um, he had rode it, and then he started working on it and was all apart. And um, I ended up buying it from him in various pieces and parts and boxes, I think, for 500 bucks. And uh, I think I had it for a couple of years, put it, you know, I put it together and uh, and rode it for a while. And it was just it was an awesome bike, but it's just the wrong kind of bike for this area. Kind of like you, it's a lot of straight and open roads. And that's a bike that needs to, a lot of curvy roads mm. to be interesting. So. So, yeah, that was um, I think that was what I had. That was my third bike, second bike. I can't remember where where that one fell. But, yeah, that was a uh, was a fun bike. Well, the the bike that is in our or the line drawing on our header 
our, our graphic is an early to mid eighties RZ one twenty five S with the okay. what would have to be like it's got a number of where the headlight should be, so it would have to have some kind of a closed version of the fairing on it. And if you look very closely, it's got an aftermarket expansion chamber on it. <laughs> but as it should. <laughs> yes. So you're you're a man after my own heart. I think there's a lot of people that uh, are not as quite as focused on two strokes as we are. If this were the you know Harley podcast, we we wouldn't be talking about them. And it was funny because Garrett was talking about his friend with the RZ350 that's all tricked out last weekend, and I just I'm, I'm just like grabbing my desk, going no 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 stay away from eBay stay away from eBay right now. Because <laughs> um, one of those is I, that's one I had ridden in the past and. Talking about smaller displacement bikes, that kind of leads us into our, our topic for this week, which is um, getting into motorcycling or getting back into motorcycling, and what's a good a back good entry level bike, and is there such thing as an entry level bike, and what's too big, what's too small, is there is there a Goldilocks formula? And I would say absolutely not. There is no perfect beginner bike. I I don't even like the term beginner bike. Because unless you're talking about the training bikes down at the local MSF rider course, there is no such thing as a beginner motorcycle. Uh, there are, I know people who have more experience than I do have ridden for decades, and they have TW200 trailways because they just like them. You know, it's a 200cc fun little bike to go exploring on. I would not call that a beginner bike. On the other hand, I know some beginners that started out on things like RZ500s. <laughs> yeah. Um, it, it's an interesting conversation um, from from a few things. Because we all know people who are who maybe never ridden or want to get back into it and because they know we're into these things. Uh, they, they come to us for our advice, and, and I guess it really does depend on the individual person. Um, I'm, and and I guess from there you go from. Do you do you tell them to get something that's? Always tell them to get something used. I guess we should probably establish Absolutely. that right up front. Do not go used, and buy something new. Used, but not too used. In the sense of you don't want them to get a twenty-year-old bike, ten-year-old bike, maybe five-year-old bike is probably about right because it's probably about the end of its depreciation or close to it. And, and not only a question of depreciation, there's also. Most newer bikes are nicer bikes. You're going to enjoy riding more and be encouraged to make it a lifelong thing if your initial experiences are good. If you buy something that is old and and in disrepair, you're not going to enjoy it. And also, if it's just an older bike, it probably doesn't have a lot of the features that, you know, for example, uh, fuel injection is a huge benefit to anybody, especially somebody who doesn't know a lot about motorcycles and isn't going to be comfortable tweaking the choke to get on the road. Uh, I think ABS is another huge benefit that anything I was going to recommend to somebody would have to be uh, equipped with ABS, or at least I would strongly encourage them because I think newer riders who don't have a lot of experience are the people who can benefit most from having anti-lock brakes. Yeah, and and the more I think about it, that is a that is actually a really good idea because if you're if you are uh, inexperienced, your first reaction is going to be to jam on and grab hard 
the front brake um, and either, you know, lock it up and go over the front or tuck the front um, as you lock it up. So having ABS would make uh, a lot of difference. And it's really just now, though, that we're getting a lot of the more moderately priced bikes new to have ABS throughout the lineup, unfortunately. Um, I mean, it's been offered off and on for, what, 15 years in various bikes, but really just becoming commonplace now. A 15-year-old Goldwing is not a good starter bike just because it has ABS. You know, right. 800 pounds. And <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that uh, Valkyrie, is it Valkyrie or Valkyrie? Valkyrie as Valkyrie. Okay. Yeah. That is available with ABS and it's actually one of the big bikes that I I said last week that I really didn't want any big bikes. I lied because that's the new 1800 is one of the bikes that I would truly love to put in my garage if I just had the funds to do it. When I win the lottery and build my big collector garage that's going to have to have one of those in there. I another thing that I I want to mention is I think seat height is critically important. You have to be able to flat foot if you're starting out. If you can't put both feet down on one on both sides of the bike at the same time, I think that leads to being really uh, uncomfortable and unsettled. And I think having too low a seat height is equally detrimental. Uh, my wife bought a V-Star 950 Tour. Some of it is she's six feet tall. She didn't want to have a little bike that was going to fold her up, and she didn't want to be the big girl on a small bike. Uh, But she also has bad knees from playing basketball when she was in high school. So she thought, oh, I want something low to the ground, which was the worst thing because when she was trying to get in and out of of the garage and gas stations and uh, away from stoplights and stuff, when you have to sit and hold a bike up with your knees out in front of you at a 90-degree angle, that doesn't give you a whole lot of leverage. And when you try and duck walk it, it's even worse. And she was never really comfortable in that bike. And as I said last week, we got a W650 Kawasaki. And all of a sudden, it was, oh, wow, this is so much easier for me. I have so much more confidence. So too high is bad. And I think more people make the mistake of too low, thinking that's mm-hmm. going to be easier, and it's not. No, that's, and yeah, I think those are good points. The other thing I would say throwing in there is not too heavy, um, because that's another thing when you're not, when you're just getting going, um, trying to find a bike that weighs, well, I would say under 500 pounds or closer to four if you can, if you can manage it. Um, Because it's one thing, getting it off a kickstand is one thing, getting it when it's, when it's like maybe starting to fall and having to pick it up, or if you actually lay it down and having to pick it back up, I mean, that's, that's a lot and and you get a six or seven hundred pound motorcycle and some momentum and trying to control it that's it's that's a lot of reciprocating weight that can can really make you uncomfortable and i think most and this is not an absolute statement most of the bigger bikes i've had are not as maneuverable it's a lot harder to explore the outer edges of the envelope and know what it's going to do just because they tend to be pretty big, long, lumbering beasts that are not real easy to make do what you want unless you really know what kind of handlebar inputs to give it. Right. Yep. That's agreed. Agreed. Um, so do you have, say, three or four or one or two go-to bikes that you tend to recommend 
to people as they're wanting to get into it or maybe get back into motorcycling, depending on the style that they want to do or, you know, obviously personality one bike, and, and type of riding? One bike that I, I mentioned uh, is the TW200. Mm-hmm. Now, a lot of people say don't get that because you're going to get bored with it. Uh, I totally disagree. That that is just so much fun, regardless of your experience level. Uh, in fact, I I wrote an article, uh, a bikes you should know piece for Hooniverse, and one of our regular readers who had no experience got so excited about it, he went out and bought it, and in the comments later on said, "Hey, I want you to know, I went out and bought a TW two hundred just because you recommended it, and you're right, I am having a blast." He has since bought a. FZ07 used, and he said that was the perfect introduction, absolutely. And it allows you to go off-road without having a super tall seat height. You get to explore uh, fire roads or, you know, dirt trails or take it out hunting and do all those kind of things and still have something that you can ride on the street as well. So that is the one of the ones I would recommend. The other one is kind of surprises me, the KTM Duke 390. Mm-hmm. It is it is extremely maneuverable, not intimidating, but it's still fast enough to to entertain you, regardless of your skill level. Uh, it's a really quick steering bike, so I think it gives you a really quick course on exactly what your handlebar inputs are going to do. Because I think there are some people who get on bigger bikes, and and you can shift your weight around on there and kind of pull on the handlebars and stuff and not realize how much you are affecting the chassis. That's one. The one, two downsides to it is, one, you have to have a good KTM dealer in your area. Don't buy something if you don't have a dealer around to support it if you're new. Mm -hmm. And the other thing is the seat is horrible. (laughs) Uh, It's KTM. They still think everything's a dirt bike. (laughs) I rode one for about... 25 minutes and at the end i was ready to get off of it and never get back on it so if you want it for commuting or you want it to to run around the neighborhood yeah great if you think that you're going to go riding with your friends to the lake and it's a three or four hour ride i don't know if anybody at this point is making aftermarket saddles for that bike i know when i looked into it about a year ago there wasn't anybody until Corbin or Sargent or one of those guys starts making a decent place to sit. That's a big drawback that I would want to make sure somebody knew about. How about and you? That's, yeah, that, and that's one of those ones I would say if you're – I hate to call KTM a niche bike, but most KTMs are niche bikes. Um, that would also be one where spend some time in the forums and you don't just, just sit and don't participate. Just sit and look and read and learn and figure out who knows what and then kind of maybe go to them for things. And there would be, you know, seats, maintenance, things like that to look out, to look out, look out for it as well. The, the other th- bike that I would want to recommend but probably wouldn't is the Honda CB300F because they don't offer it with ABS. If they offered it with ABS, that would be at the top of my list. Another one that I would love to recommend that I can't is the uh, the brand new Yamaha uh, MT-03 or FZ-03, which they're not bringing to the United States. It's the, it's the upright version of their... Uh, the FZ... Little, uh, the R, uh, yeah, R, the, R, the R3. The R3, 
Right. Yeah. They make an unfair, more upright version of that for everybody but the United States, and it breaks my heart because I think it's a much better bike than the CB300F. There's also a naked 300 Ninja that you can't get here. Uh, one bike that is going to be here, uh, I don't know when. I've actually asked him about it, and I, I haven't found out yet, is uh, I went out, happened to go to the Hyosung website the korean manufacturer and they're bringing in their two uh i think there's 250 singles uh mm-hmm. water cool 250 singles they make a fared version and an unfaired version that i think is the uh gd 250n it is it very few people i it's not on the radar and it's not available in the states yet it's been out for a couple years overseas and they're in they're American importer says it's on the way. I sent them a Facebook message saying, "When is this? When you're actually looking at this?" And they haven't responded. That I don't know if it has ABS or not, but it is. It's actually a bike that, if they bring it in and if I fit on it, uh, could be my next bike because a lot of that will depend on the price. I'm not going to pay top dollar for it, but. Hyosung actually has a pretty good reliable. They're they're not to the level of some of the Japanese manufacturers, but I think they're probably as reliable and easy to live with as a KTM. So mm-hmm. that that would be my short list. So I was just I was uh, going up here and trying to pull up a couple things really quick just to verify some thoughts here. Um, for me, one of the best. All around, if you're not going off-road, if you think you're going to either be commuting, um, wanting to go on weekend rides, maybe a little touring, um, maybe a little sport riding, I think one of the best all-around bikes that you can look for, and they made them up till 2009, 2010, and now they're bringing them back, is the uh, Suzuki SV650. Yes, absolutely. And, and I would say get the non-fared versus the fared version again for for all the reasons you said it's a little more upright it's a little more controllable a little easier on the back and wrist depending on your age and also if you were getting back into something you are likely going to have a crash it it just skill set and odds and numbers say that you are likely going to have a crash so best not to scrap anywhere between 400 to thousand dollars worth of body work right away and have a ratty up ratted up bike if you don't have that and you just put some uh, bash bars or some case guards on it um, you'll probably be okay uh, or the bike will be okay and you that, that's one less repair bill or one less thing for you to get discouraged about as you get back into riding um, if you're thinking you're gonna be more and th- this we, we're gonna get into seat height here and 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 something that's awful tall, but um, two bikes that if you think you're going to want to do more off-road-ish type thing but still want to be able to ride on the street, KLR650 and XR650, Honda, the Kawasaki and the Honda, mostly because, yes, they're going to be carbureted for the most part. They're bulletproof. I mean, you can literally beat the ever-living crap out of them, do the most minimal maintenance, and they're going to run forever, and there's a huge, huge aftermarket for it. So if you think you like it and you want to keep it and upgrade it or it becomes a second bike that you end up being a play bike, you can do whatever. You can customize it to your to your heart's content, and um, and there's an aftermarket there to take care of you. 
I think another bike that I just thought of that I really hadn't ever considered, but if you are willing to kickstart a bike, uh, the SR400. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's fuel-injected now. It's it's uh, kind of all the characteristics of an older bike in a newer bike. If Because uh, so many people, I won't use the H word, but uh, mm-hmm. so many people currently want to have a certain image and they were really smart to start importing that again because it's a very simple, easy-to-ride bike. It's an unintimidating engine. The problem is you have to be willing to start it with your foot, and I'm not sure how many people just starting out are going to want to do that. But it's not its not hard to start. It's not like kick-starting a BSA 500 single. <laughs> right, right. It's got a um, compression release on it, and it kind of walks you through the process. It's, it's not bad. And if you, if you want... If, if you want to have – if you're going for sort of style and you want sort of that retro styling, the – you know, a Triumph Thruxton or Bonneville or something like that from 08, 09 on where it's fuel injected, they pretty much uh, have gotten all the bugs out of the system. Um, I've and, ridden a few of those, and, and I, I really I, – the, the Thruxton has enough power to be entertaining, and it has a great sound, especially with the Arrow aftermarket. That was a factory aftermarket can on it. It sounds good. It handles well. It's not too heavy. It has just enough power to keep you entertained. I, I would probably not say the Thruxton just because of the low clip-on bars on it. I would probably say go with the standard Bonneville. Bonneville, yeah. Um, also, the standard Bonneville has cast wheels. It's one less maintenance thing you have to worry about no, if you don't have wire point. spokes. And it's probably going to be a lot cheaper. And yeah, you I mean, are going to toss it down the road at some point, so you might as well buy the cheap yeah. version. But I would agree. And that's a bike that's powerful enough and stable enough and comfortable enough. You couldn't throw some saddlebags on the you know, some soft saddlebags and a windshield just a handlebar mount windshield, and you could take off for a week on it and not feel like you had too little motorcycle underneath you. And you can probably pick up a nice one with not a ton of miles on it for what? Four, four and a half, five thousand? Yeah. I haven't looked at them lately, but I, that feels about the right the right price on those. Yeah. So you're not out a ton of money. Either, I think a so. lot of that is going to depend on what part of the country you're country in. Country you're in, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I would recommend that uh, something else, getting back to seat height, I would recommend that over an America or a uh, any of the cruiser triumphs, just because I think you're you're going to feel more in control with your feet underneath you rather than those forward controls. And I think that's just some of that's my bias, though. I don't. Like no, no, no. I I agree. Uh, and and I'm not a cruiser person either. I I think I've ridden one cruiser that was sort of interesting, but other than that, you know, no. Um, and then I guess if you want to go for the exotic, which falls in the same thing, um, look for an air-cooled Ducati Monster. Because, again, those things are um, fairly bulletproof, a little more maintenance-intensive, but fairly bulletproof. It's Italian. There's a billion pieces of aftermarket kit available for it and uh, a pretty pretty hardcore following. I would say no but if you feel the need to be, you know, if you're sort of a European sports car kind of person and you feel the need to have a European kind of bike, okay. And and there's and there's something to be said about a Ducati air-cooled Ducati V-twin sound. I mean, it's 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 magical. If if, if we're going to mention that, we do need to mention the Scramblers, the 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 original one and the new 400. I, I think you're just asking for so much depreciation. Even if you buy one used, they just haven't been around long enough. 
and the, no, the new one. yes, yes, and nobody is going to want to buy one that's got a whole bunch of scrapes down the side of it. You can find a monster that somebody else has already laid down a whole lot easier and pick it up cheaper. Yeah, and and that's what I'm saying. You buy a used, you know, 900 yes. monster or the 821 monster from six seven years ago, and and yeah, again, those things you can be had for five six thousand dollars. I know because I've I've looked at them off and on as hey, this could be kind of fun to have as a you know. And, and they're not light bikes, but they are fairly compact. They're short wheelbase. They're not terribly wide. They're not intimidating to sit on and and get going on. Yeah, uh, I think it, that's going to take me back to. There's no such thing as a beginner bike. When you right. look at the the 400 Scrambler as a beginner bike, it, no, uh, they're marketing the new Indian Scout 60 as a beginner. I'm like, no, no, that, that is. That is a cheapskate motorcycle. It is not a yes. beginner motorcycle. Yeah, that's 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 the bike for the people who can't come up with the extra fifteen hundred dollars for the for just the normal Indian Scout. And and the only difference is they made it slower. Yeah, it's for people who don't know anything about motorcycles that walk in and go, "Oh, it's pretty," but I don't have enough money. I want that. It's it's the <laughs> rent a center version of the Indian. It's, it's it's the Sunday coffee run bike. Yes. Uh, <laughs> Let me think if there's anything else that we should mention in here. Oh, a, w another bike that I was going to mention, if you do want forward controls, I know some people say if my knees are bent more than 90 degrees, it's just uncomfortable, I can't do it. And if you want something to truly learn on, the V-Star 250 is actually a pretty fun bike. It's gutless. It's anemic. It's not too much faster than the TW. And it does have forward controls, but it's small enough that forward controls are still, you know, not that far in front of you, and it weighs so little, you could be sitting on the ground and hold it up. I, I'm going to throw a wild card at you that doesn't really qualify as a motorcycle on a couple levels, um, but this is sort of would be almost perfect for my wife who has MS and she has balance issues. A uh, Piaggio MP3500. Yeah, I, I could see that. Because it has the dual front wheels, so it's much more stable. You, it literally has a button that if you come to a stop, you hit a button and it locks it. So you don't have to worry if you, you know, you oh, I forgot to put my feet down. You can literally hit a button and it'll just stop right. uh, from, from leaning. And I'm thinking about this because Matt Farah was talking about the one he has a few weeks back on uh, Smoking Tire Podcast. And I'm like, you know, and I, and I happen to see one. Uh, we had a warm day here, I don't know, a month ago or so, and someone I saw one riding, and I'm like, hey, wow, cool. You don't see those too often, especially around here. And and I said it, it, it's it's more of a step-through scooter than I would call it a motorcycle, and it's three-wheelers, blah, blah, blah. But as a wild card, you know, it's 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 the gate. It's a gateway drug. You know, it, it literally. I'm looking yeah. at it as a gateway drug. The, the one thing is, it's not going to. This could be a plus or a minus. It's not going to teach you how to use a manual transmission and a clutch, which sometimes I think is good to get the feel of what it's like to counter steer and deal with traffic when you're not worried about stalling it or yeah. being in the wrong gear. I would say pretty much any of the maxi scooters, especially the ones that are available with ABS, would be mm -hmm. great. I think it's probably a little bit big, but I I have a soft spot for the Aprilia Mana GT. Mm -hmm. However, it's it's got a couple of things against it. One is it's an Aprilia, which I wouldn't want anybody to have to deal with 
as especially if you're buying something used i think it's it's a little bit on the big side you'd probably be much more comfortable with the bmw 650 scooter and, and yeah if you if you want to do anything aprilia um there's a there's a fantastic aprilia board it's a af1 aprilia uh, they're a dealer dealer group out of Austin, Texas. So if you're going to MotoGP, go check them out uh, down at Coda. Um, great group of people. I've been on that board for seven or eight years, and the wealth of knowledge is just incredible on that. Um, but, yeah, they, they will tell you that if you're not comfortable sometimes doing your own work and you don't have a good Aprilia dealership, maybe you should think about something else. Um so and and that is a that is a problem having a good Aprilia dealership that's been around for more than three or four years and not gone out of business is mm-hmm. has been a bit of a thing. So uh, or if you have uh, or at least have a decent independent mechanic that works that understands Italian motorcycles, um, that would be the other thing. So having ha, ha, liking those niche bikes is cool right up until the time that it's not. <laughs> right. And, so and, and 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 that's that's why you stick. Uh, it's really good. When you're getting into the sport, when you're first trying to learn, sticking with you know the big four Japanese and maybe a Triumph or maybe a KTM, but that has like we were talking about earlier could have its own you know its own issues. They're expensive and they don't go down in value. But one of my favorite scooters is the Yamaha T Max, mm-hmm. which is just an outstanding. I've ridden them a couple times for very short periods of time, and I and I would really like to be able to take one out for like a weekend and see if I like it long-term as much as I did in a short little blast. Yeah. Well, not going down in value isn't necessarily a bad thing because that means if you get one and you decide it's not something you want, you can get out of it for, and you know, and probably come close to breaking even or something close to it. So that's almost not a bad thing sometimes. I th- I think that the, the downside of any of those is if you do eventually want to end up on something with a manual transmission, you got to learn something. I was just looking through Cycle Trader. It looks like uh, the cheapest used T Maxes out there are about four grand and up. Don't buy, spend four grand on something that's not going to give you all the skills you need to hop on your buddy's bike. Same thing with the Mana. I probably wouldn't buy a Mana because I have really bad muscle memory uh Mm. eddie lawson was famous for being able to jump off a bike that was you know uh one up four down on the right and getting on something that was uh one down and five up on the left and being able to shift no problem without any transition he could just rewrite his thinking instantaneously and he had all of his muscle memory was so well developed he didn't even have a problem with that as I was saying to somebody in a comment on Hooniverse today, when I had my BSA 500, I was constantly trying to upshift with the underside of the brake pedal. <laughs> you know? and, and I had the thing a year, and I was still finding myself doing it. The other day, I had my Honda 125 out, and I started, I realized I was coming up in an intersection braking only with my foot. I wasn't using the front brake, which I would have never, ever done prior to having a can-am spider but i ride my spider enough where you just stomp on the brake and you stop it's like oh no i gotta remember i got two brakes to use here some people i know go back and forth between spiders and bikes and say no it doesn't bother me at all a lot of the spiders have the have the sequential semi-automatic transmission no clutch and that doesn't bother them and 
I don't do well when I'm not practicing the same skills all the time. So I'm not sure I would want something with a CVT, even though they're, right. I, I think they're a blast to ride and I don't have any scooter uh, phobia. Right. No, that's, that's true. I just, yeah, like I said, it was sort of a wild card thing. As, uh, but like you say, if you think you're going to want to do something more, then maybe it is better to find something cheap and learn those skill sets but on the other hand it is nice to learn to ride and not and, and have one less thing to worry about so and as a side note uh which maybe we can tag for a future future show is um cvts or dcts becoming a little more uh, apparent in, in in new motorcycles and the one interesting one is the new um honda africa twin um, which has a, a DCT, and you could literally leave it in, in auto mode at, at some point. So, um, but that's, do, a, different, have that's a different conversation for a different different show. Rusty, one of my closest riding friends, has a new Africa Twin with the automatic the DCT on order right now. So we'll have to have him on the show at some point and let him give us some feedback on what that's like to ride. Yeah, it could be interesting. On the other hand, I would say there's a whole lot of people who might actually be happier on a Bergman or a T-Max than a motorcycle and don't give scooters a fair shot. Yeah, there is a, and I don't, well, I can't say because I've never lived in Europe, but I get the impression from Europe there's not the stigma associated with those that there is in the U.S. Um, and maybe part of it's living in the Midwest, too, that, that causes that stigma, but um yeah, I mean they're they're fine if you want to just get out and ride, twist and go, and have something. There's nothing wrong with them. There's plenty of them around here. I can tell you that from um, people who just want to want to do that. I think another thing to 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 consider is that a lot of people get into motorcycling for a particular reason or with a particular you know fantasy image of what riding is going to be for them, and they in a year or two go, oh, no, I really like this or I like that. Maybe they don't want to ride with the people they thought they were going to ride with or they don't want to take long trips or they don't want to commute to work. And now they're stuck with something that they thought was going to be their forever ride. I think it's okay to say, yeah, get this for a year or two and then see what you want to do. Don't spend, you know, $18,000 on a Harley Go out and buy something for two, three, four grand, mm -hmm. ride it for a while, and go, mm, yeah, I, I, I might want to try this or I might want to try that. And it may be a, I like this. You know, I'm going to buy a, I don't know, V-Star 250, which is lousy on the highway. And then in two years, you might want to buy that big, you know, Aprilia sport bike or something like that and not True. necessarily get rid of the one you're going to ride to work. No, it's a good it's a good point. And and it does it does go to the idea that it's good to buy something A inexpensive and B that can fit multiple roles so that you can figure out really what it is that you enjoy or might might or might not like. So getting something that's more of a standard type bike that has the ability to do touring weekend sport riding or whatever you want to call it sport touring commuting whatever and that way you you can kind of go from there and then branch out and like you say you can always keep it and customize it and have it as a second one or you know however you want to do it or move on and find something else that's better suited for that that one thing so i think that's uh i think that's you know that's probably one of the best things that you could if we're if, if no one takes away anything else from what we say tonight get something that's that can fill multiple roles most likely and the other thing i would say is 
don't learn on your own. Go no. take the Motorcycle MSF. Safety Foundation rider course. And then once you get your bike, go back and take the advanced, what they call, I think, bike bonding is the term they use now, where you actually go through the course on your own motorcycle. Uh, that's going to tell you a lot about what you like and don't like and how well your motorcycle is suited to your riding style. Yeah, absolutely. And and, and riding a bike has the skills you think you have from driving a car for X amount of years. Most of that doesn't translate into riding a motorcycle. It's a whole different skill set. And the amount of attention you need to pay yes. to obstacles, hazards, and just the road surface is so much greater. Riding in a car does not equip you to do that. No. No. Even riding in a convertible. <laughs> <laughs> you get a few of these sensations, but just a few. So there you go. I think that covers that pretty well. Okay, so we're probably at a good point to wrap it up. Thank you All very right. much, and I will uh, talk to you next week, and hopefully we'll have a different guest. All right, sounds great. Everyone have a good week. <laughs>